machine. Hello, listeners. I am in the living room with Tim and Mr. Pitterit, and he is making us tea. Why, thank you, Mr. Pitterit. So kind of you. Now I know why you wished me good luck last time. You knew what was waiting for me in the attic. I did. I knew you wouldn't be brave enough to stand up to Loki Lysmith. <laughs> Would you stop laughing at my expense, Tim? But you are right, Mr. Pitterit. I was a bit scared. Don't worry. You did very well. And you were a little brave, too, because you didn't run away. This tea is delicious. What flavour is it? Why, it's an ideal tea, of course. And it will help you with today's story, so you won't have to do all the work yourself. Just touch the machine, as you always do. The tea will work in your favour. Thank you, Mr. Pidrit. That is overly kind of you. One question before we leave. Why don't you want anything to do with the attic and the machine? Uh, that, young man, I'm afraid I cannot tell you. I will say this, though. The living room is my home. The world outside is foreign to me, just as the world where the machine is from is foreign to me. The living room is between the worlds, just as the attic is between the worlds too. My living room I can deal with. The attic, not so much. I respect the machine and it respects me. That is all you need to know. Together, we govern some of the ideas that float between the worlds. It is an honourable job, but it is best we keep our duties separate. Me and the machine, I'd better see you off now. Why, yes, Tim, of course you may. Tim just asked Mr. Pidrit if he may take his cup of tea up to the attic. There you go, listeners. What a great guy our landlord is. I don't quite understand all his otherworldly problems, but I guess I'm no elf. So, how would I? Ready, Tim? Hello, Marble Machine. Good to see you. I feel so much better now that all this Loki chaos is over. And I can't wait to see how Mr. Pitterit's tea will help me out today. Would you look at that? Two marbles that... Four marbles, listeners. Two green ones and two silver ones. The green ones, Tim says, are jungle green marbles and contain a story suitable for children and adults of all ages. Well, that sounds good. And the silver ones? Special guest reader marbles. Wow. I don't. Tim says I don't have to eat the guest reader marbles, but just put them back in the machine again instead. Okay, let's see what that will do. Oh, look! A person plopped out of the machine and he's lying on the attic floor. Oh, oh and another one. A young woman and a young man. Hello, are you two okay? Yeah. My head hurts. Well, where am I? Where are we again? Well, I don't know how much I can tell you, but you are in a place between two worlds and... 
Sorry, guys. Tim says that was already too much information. <clears throat> well, you are here in the attic to help us tell a story for our podcast. I guess it's better if that is all you know. The rest is all top secret. I sort of saved the world from a deceiving evil trickster god in the last episode. <clears throat> I can offer you to introduce yourself to the listeners, but then I think we should get on with the story. My name is Lolia Tsariva, and I'm an actress. Oh, great. And what about you? My name is Adrian Castilla, and um, I am an actor and writer and director, and uh, uh, adriancastilla.com is my website. Where am I again? Perfect. And I bet our listeners are just as curious as I am what parts you two will play in this upcoming story. It is a story delivered in two parts, listeners. Here is the marble for the first part. And now, guest readers, check this out. The Secret of Jungleville Written and narrated by Jacob Graff Recorded and edited by Tim Hoefer Mayor Edwin Cramor rested his head against the windshield of his private helicopter. From up here, he had a full view of the oval-shaped megacity. The Craymore Towers loomed out over the city center like the antennae of a giant concrete bug. If the megacity were a bug, the mayor thought, it would grow to almost twice its size after eating the prey that lay ahead of it. One of the largest rainforests of the world. Mayor Kramer had already authorized the expansion project that would cut down thousands of trees within the next months. The man with the slim face and the beak-like nose waiting for Mr. Kramer as he got out of the helicopter was Neil Nottingham, project manager and chief engineer of the Jungle Down project. His pet raven, Blackbird, dug its claws into his master's overcoat and flapped its wings as the helicopter landed. Kramer hated that bird. He hoped that the rotor blades would accidentally cut its head off. Normally he didn't have anything against animals, but whenever he saw Nottingham's evil-eyed raven, it gave him the shivers. On their way to his office, Nottingham updated the mayor on the Jungle Down project. A couple of protesters, sir. Nothing to worry about. We should get the heavy machinery in by tomorrow and start chopping away. Good. I'll try and head out with you tomorrow, but now I should get back to the office and prepare my speech. He patted Nottingham on the shoulder and Blackbird bit his thumb. Ugh, ouch! Damn it, Nottingham, do you have to carry this beast with you all the time? Apologies, Mr. Mayor. The mayor's office faced the green, lush, and juicy nature of the rainforest, but Kramer never really found time to appreciate this. His desk was arranged so that he worked with his back to the window. Looking out of the window was a waste of time, a distraction that a man in his position couldn't afford. But today, another distraction was already in his office. His nine-year-old son, Petey, imitated the sound of a jet plane as he pretended to fly through his father's office. Petey, I've got to concentrate. Turn it down a little. I can't, Dad. I'm a plane with a huge engine. He said and jumped on his father's desk. Petey the plane took aim and soared from the desk onto a little stool that toppled over and led him flying into a shelf. Crash landing. 
Peely shouted as a vase fell down from the top of the shelf and hit the floor, breaking into a million pieces. He looked up at his father. Sorry, Dad, sorry. The mayor sighed and called his secretary through the intercom. Another vase, sir? His secretary guessed. Uh, yes, thank you. Mayor Kramer scratched his head and looked at Petey, who was already caught up in the next game, which involved jumping through the broken pieces of porcelain. Petey's mom was on a vacation with her sister for another two weeks. There was no way Mayor Kramer could keep Petey in the office and get his work done at the same time. The kid will cost me the election, he thought. The office door opened, but instead of the secretary, Nottingham burst in with the Jungle Down blueprints. Good news, Mr. Mayor. Nottingham said and started naming the advantages and technical details of the new caterpillars and tree chopping machines that had finally arrived. Completely absorbed by his game, Petey bumped into Nottingham to avoid a big piece of vase. Ah, oh, Nottingham, you haven't met my son Petey yet, have you? The project manager and his raven stared at Petey as if they had never seen a child before. Petey, you like animals and climbing trees, right? Nottingham. I won't be able to make it out to the forest tomorrow, but could you do me a great favor and take my son with you when you go to work tomorrow? He, he loves forests. If he loves forests, he might not have such a nice day. Nottingham whispered to Blackbird, who was sitting on his shoulders cleaning his feathers. Indeed, he will not. Quite the contrary, I would assume. I don't think it's a good idea, sir. After all, there won't be any trees to climb once we get to work. There's heavy machinery all around. It's dangerous. Dangerous? Petey said and stopped playing. It was the first time he really caught a word of what the grown-ups were saying. Can I go, Dad? Please? Nottingham, my good man. I am sure you can figure out a way. I trust that my son will be safe in your hands. Just don't let that crow of yours... Get too close to him. I'm a rat! Blackbird protested, but Nottingham held his beak shut. Yes, sir. Nottingham said and left the office. We will have to keep an eye on the boy, Blackbird. The last thing we need is a little brat like that snooping around and being nosy. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the heart of the jungle, a snake stalked through the high blades of grass. The little squirrel monkey on the tree trunk by the edge of the cliff didn't seem to notice the approaching predator. The snake left the grass and slowly slithered onto the wood. Still completely ignorant of its presence, the monkey was fumbling with a shiny piece of metal. Using its spring-like muscles, the snake lifted its upper body and launched itself at its prey. It stopped its attack just before the monkey's face, stuck out its tongue and shouted, Tag, you're it. This is hopeless. A voice shouted from above. You didn't even try to concentrate, Tidy. <laughs> Sorry. Tidy the squirrel monkey said and looked up at his best friend Jeff, a young tropical singing bird. It, it, it was the coin's fault. You know I get distracted when I see something shiny. No, Tidy, you always get distracted. A-L-W-A-Y-S, always. And outside of Jungleville, being distracted is going to get you killed. Ain't that right, Sandy? That's right. Maybe I should move a bit louder and not too smoothly next time. Then he might hear me. Jeff came spiraling down in a hair-raising maneuver and landed safely between Tidy and Sandy. That's not the point, Sandy. The point is that Tidy can't concentrate. But unfortunately, we have a much bigger problem than fixing his ADD. What's the big problem? The monkey and the bird exchanged suspicious looks. 
Tidy folded his hands behind his back, looked away, and started whistling innocently. Jeff sighed. Look, Sandy, it's kind of top secret. It's about our home. Jungleville? Yes, but I can't leak any information to the public, you know? Why? Trust me. Jeff put his hand around her. You'll be the first to know. But I thought I was your friend. Sandy said and wrung herself free from Jeff. You are, and I'm sorry, Sandy. I promise I'll tell you soon. Offended by this absence of trust, Sandy slithered off, and as soon as she was out of sight, Jeff and Tidy rushed through the jungle to Tidy's home, a hollow tree trunk where the monkey stored a huge collection of what he called unjungly things. Mostly these things were shiny objects humans had lost at the edge of the jungle. To Tidy, they were all objects of prestige and fashion. Since he had been a tiny squirrel monkey baby, he had wanted to stand out by the way he dressed. One day, he had a flip-flop that he wore as a hat. The next, he had a metal spoon as an earring or two teacups that he had tied together with a liana and wore as a bra. Tidy found most of his possessions where the jungle bordered the city. From time to time, a family would picnic by the edge of the jungle, but usually they didn't run into many humans. None of the other animals living in Jungleville ever came to their secret spot, because everything outside of the jungle was considered dangerous. What they thought of as Jungleville was a small part of the jungle that ended where the trees bordered to the megacity in the north, and about a mile into the jungle to the south, where the trees grew thicker and denser. It was home to Tidy, Sandy, Jeff, and many, many other animals. For months, the other animals kept warning Tidy and Jeff not to hang out where the humans lived. But the two friends ignored their warnings, and when they visited the edge of the jungle one moon ago, they saw something that made their blood freeze in their veins. Huge, iron-fanged monsters, ridden and controlled by humans, derooted a fully grown tree and chopped it up into little bits within seconds. Tidy and Jeff overheard two humans discussing the Jungle Down project. One was a protester who argued that they couldn't just cut down the trees and that the megacity had no right to destroy the natural environment and habitat of all the animals that lived there. The other was Nottingham, who simply waived the official permit signed by the mayor and told them that if the animals had any say in the matter, they should speak for themselves and convince the mayor to stop the project. Jeff immediately understood the danger of the situation. The humans would cut down every tree in Jungleville if they didn't convince them that the animals of Jungleville had a say in the matter. Jeff knew they couldn't just tell the other animals what was going on because most of them would just flee in panic and leave Jungleville abandoned. That's why they decided to keep it a secret. It was in their hands to save Jungleville. But in order to be successful, they had to come up with a plan. That is where Tidy's hollow tree home came into play. While Tidy was more the fashion type, Jeff was an inventor by nature, and to him, Tidy's hollow tree was a never-ending well of ideas and opportunities for his creative mind. Humans only care for humans. Jeff concluded as he searched through the stuff in Tidy's hollow tree trunk. The solution is easy. We just figure out a way to convince them that we are just like them. We need to... to send them a message. Got any ideas what we could use to do that, Tidy? Tidy... Shaking a Velcro ball from his feathers, Jeff came out of the hollow tree and looked around for his friend. The monkey was a few trees away, catwalking and striking poses, dressed up in his latest fashion gear. He was also wearing one pink slipper and a silk glittery glove as a beanie and throwing confetti in the air as he walked. 
tidy. Could you please focus on the prop? Jeff stopped in his tracks as he saw what Tidy was doing. There was a smartphone in a tree, turned on camera mode so that Tidy could watch himself as he pretended to be a model. Genius! Jeff said and flew right up to where Tidy had placed it. Do you know what this is? I, I, I found it last week, close to where the tree killers were. I, I think it's a kind of mirror. No, 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 it's much more than that. I, I've seen humans use this before. Jeff fumbled around with it and accidentally pressed the record button. I saw them do this. I just didn't pay attention to how they... Not knowing how he did it, the phone suddenly showed his face in a close-up, repeating what he just said. I saw them do this. I just didn't pay attention to how they... His voice came out of the phone. Ha! Huh? You, you, you just said that. See, I do pay attention. Don't you get it? This thing can record us. It's much more than a mirror. It's the solution to our problem. We can use it to show the tree killers that we are just like them and that they can't just cut down our homes. Jeff was overflowing with motivation and ideas on how to use the camera to convince the tree killers. They headed up to a nearby hilltop. Jeff declared tidy camera operator and imposed upon himself the critical task of convincing the humans. Welcome to Jungleville. The lush beauty of evergreen trees and crystal clear rivers, Jeff said with his best advertising voice as Tidy filmed. While Tidy kept recording, Jeff slowly moved backwards until he came dangerously close to the edge of a cliff. This is where we live. This is Jungleville! Jeff performed a dramatical pirouette as he flung himself down the cliff. A moment later, he heroically reappeared, soaring up into the sky. Come and see the glory of our beautiful Jungleville. Jeff struck a mighty pose, froze in midair, held his breath, and puffed his chest out. And cut! He gasped and met Tidy on the hilltop. Did you get it? Tidy didn't get it. He was filming his hand sprinkling confetti on a blue orchid. Are you serious? Jeff shouted and grabbed the phone from the monkey's hands. This isn't a game! Sorry. Never mind. We must convince the humans that we are cool and worth keeping alive. We must be more like them. I have another idea. The next clip showed Jeff by a pond on the top of the head of an alligator. He held a soft twig that he held bent in a circle and pretended that it was the steering wheel of his ship. The alligator port. Ships big and small enter this... Tidy? What are you doing? Instead of filming Captain Jeff, Tidy had turned the camera to film the insides of his nostrils. Sorry, there was a red light blinking on the monitor. I couldn't resist it. Whatever Jeff came up with, the project seemed to be hexed. They collected footage all day and Jeff introduced every part of Jungleville that he thought would be worth featuring. But nothing ever turned out the way Jeff wanted. And if Tidy didn't mess up the takes due to his attention deficit disorder, Jeff's animal instincts got in the way. The last clip they filmed before the sun went down showed Jeff flying over a colony of fire ants, carrying leaves in one long row. Tidy was swinging in the nearby trees, trying to keep Jeff in frame while holding the camera steady. The red fire ant highway of Jungleville. A highway leading right through the heart of our village. Incredible, isn't it? Just look at those industrious, busy, delicious, juicy little ant... Uh, uh, I mean, what a display of citizenship. Okay, cut. Sorry, I messed that one up. Didn't have anything to eat today and got a bit carried away. Um, I, I think the mirror machine just broke. 
What? Let me see. Jeff examined the phone. Damn it. I think you're right. I still wanted to convince the glowworms to let us film than having a full moon party. I heard humans like to dance to bright lights when it gets dark. Now what? Uh, back to my tree? Tidy suggested and shrugged his shoulders. Probably the best thing we can do. We'll just have to think of something overnight. The next morning, a terrible noise tore them from their sleep. It sounded like a dozen thunderstorms, but there was something mechanical to it, as if the storm came from a giant machine. Every animal in Jungleville heard the noise and panic spread as some birds flew up above the treetops to find out where the noise was coming from. Tree killers! They're coming! They're starting to kill the trees! Trying to get out of a locked car was not the sort of adventure P.D. had planned. He had been bored to death all morning listening to Nottingham. When they finally got to the jungle, instead of letting him play, Nottingham had locked Petey in his car so that he wouldn't be up to any mischief. He threatened to call his dad, but Blackbird snatched Petey's phone away. For an hour that seemed to last an eternity, Petey just sat there looking at the nearby trees. And then something terrifying happened. Through the windscreen of the car, Petey saw that the machines had begun moving. They were headed straight for the jungle. Steel blades cut into the wood and the roots of the big trees were ripped from the earth. Petey could almost feel the wooden giants suffer as they fell. What was happening? This was wrong in every way possible. Petey was sure that his father had no idea what was going on here. He needed to stop Nottingham. The passenger window moved an inch as Petey pressed his flat hands against it and pulled it down as hard as he could. It took time. But eventually, stubborn repetition was the key to freedom, and the window was open wide enough for Petey to squeeze through. He headed for the forest, where the tree-killing was already underway. The machines moved against them with an insatiable hunger. Their names hinted at the ferociousness of their purpose. Tree-crusher, stroke-harvester, and scorpion-king systematically devoured whatever got in their way like giant cyborg predators. An enormous vehicle moved past Petey and shredded through full-grown trees as if they were salad. Each machine had its purpose in this ruthless cycle. While the blades of the tree crusher cut through trunks the size of huts, the harvester simply ate the freshly cut tree whole, chewing away all the useless branches, bark and leaves. After skinning the tree alive and spitting out a naked stem, the machine next in line cut it up into segments. While the machines went to work, Nottingham and Blackbird were facing the untouched jungle, looking at what seemed to be an old paper scroll. Petey sneaked up as close as he could to overhear their conversation. It has to be this way, Nottingham said and pointed to a place a little further south on the map. Five days, I would assume. If we stick to the original blueprints of the official project, yes. But to hell with Craymore, I say we go straight to the part of gold. Nottingham pointed to the untouched rainforest to the east. We could be there in two days. We don't have a permit. Who needs a permit if you have a well of power? Bye-bye, Craymore. Exactly. We won't ever have to listen to that fat hog ever again. Blackbird crowed, but Petey had already snuck up from behind and snatched his phone back out of Nottingham's coat pocket. Nosy little brat, how did you get out of the car? I don't know what you guys are up to, but I'm gonna call my father and you will be in big trouble. Oh, in trouble are we? For what? 
I will tell him that you're cutting down the forest. <laughs> that wouldn't be big news for Daddy. This is his project, son. Liar! He would never allow you to destroy the forest. Now come on, kid. Be sensible and wait in the car and let the grown-ups work. I'll let you keep the phone. Deal? Nottingham moved a step closer to Petey, but when he tried to grab his arm, Petey moved away and ran for the trees. A moment later he was amid the tall grass, and before Nottingham could make a move, Petey vanished amongst a thicket of dark green leaves and branches. After him! Blackbird flew after him for a few feet, but was too much of a coward to follow the boy into the deeper jungle. You good-for-nothing, useless, flying feather bundle! <coughs> Contain yourself! <coughs> I was merely not going to let myself within the perimeter of any wild beast that might enjoy a chunk of <coughs> raw raven for lunch. <coughs> and the way I see it, boy gone, problem gone! <coughs> and what do you suggest we tell the mayor if we lose his son in the jungle? He will blow off the whole project, and tomorrow we won't have a single machine to help us. That indeed poses a new problem. Damn right it poses a problem, Birdbrain. If we don't have the machines and the manpower, how the heck are we supposed to get rid of this big stupid jungle that lies between us and the well of power? Petey ran deep into the forest, and soon the crowns of the trees were so thick that almost no sunlight passed through them. He had lost all sense of orientation, but decided to keep walking anyway. A cone of sunlight shone in the distance and led to a clearing. There were still trees here, but they stood further apart, and Petey spotted out the most suitable one to climb. Adventure mode. He took off his shirt and wrapped it around his head like a bandana. Then he started climbing. When he could go no higher, he looked around to see if he could spot the big machines or any of the construction workers. Nothing. The jungle seemed endless. And if he didn't know for certain, he would never have believed that the megacity was only a few miles away. Surely his father could get him out of this mess, if only he knew in which direction to go. Fumbling for the phone in his back pocket, Petey unexpectedly grazed the fingers of a small, furry hand. Petey shouted and almost lost his balance. <laughs> Tidy agreed with wide open eyes and snatched Petey's phone with his little monkey hands. The squirrel monkey blew a handful of confetti into Petey's face and jumped to the next branch. Over here, Jeff said, zooming by. Tidy tossed him the phone and Jeff caught it in midair. Hey, give that back. Sorry, we don't usually steal things, but this is an emergency. We have to save Jungleville. Jungleville? By the time Petey got down from the tree, the two thieves were long gone. Now Petey was really lost. <sighs> Adventure mode. He tried to convince himself again. Pushing his fear aside, Petey kept going, hoping that he would eventually find a way out of the jungle. The sound of the machines was omnipresent, but no matter how hard he concentrated, he couldn't detect where it was coming from. Hours later, and several turns and adjustments to find the right way, Petey was more than just a little uncomfortable. He was downright scared. Not only did his feet hurt from the long hours of walking and blisters begun to form on his toes, but mosquitoes were feasting on him like he was an all-you-can-eat dinner buffet. The lower the sun stood in the sky, the more the jungle awoke. Petey wondered if he had been going around in circles. He stopped by a tree with a Y-shaped branch about ten feet above the ground and considered spending the night on it. If he kept going for much longer, he would be easy prey for all kinds of predators on the ground. 
Just when he decided against sleeping on a tree and keep walking, he saw that a set of eyes was staring at him from the bushes. The rush of adrenaline made his whole body stiffen. While he was unable to move a muscle, his mind was still working, as if the fear had concentrated his focus down to the one goal of finding a way out of this. A thick, club-like branch lay about an arm's length away from him. As he saw it, his body allowed him to move again. He crouched down slowly and reached for the improvised weapon. As soon as his fist closed around the stick, the hidden danger revealed itself. A girl about his age jumped out from the bushes and charged. She had a thick crust of mud over her body and a small wooden spear in her right hand. Petey jumped to the side as she attacked. He rolled over and shouted, Wait! The girl ignored him and turned around to attack again. Petey threw his stick away and held his hands up in front of him. Hey, hey, I, I don't want to fight you! The girl had turned her spear around and rammed the blunt end of it into Petey's belly. He fell to his knees and the girl poked him curiously with her weapon. Oh, stop that, will you? You're not from Angyaba. The what? Where is your tribe? Um... Your home, your people. My, my home is in the city. My father is the mayor of... But before Petey could finish his sentence, the girl started attacking again. Petey barely evaded the spear that came directly for his head. He turned, rolled over, jumped up, and ran for his life. What's wrong with you? Will you please stop trying to kill me? We should help each other. Are you lost too? Maybe we can work together to get out of the jungle. To get out of the jungle? I live here. You live in the jungle? A part of him was fascinated by this, another part terrified. He turned around to ask another question, but the girl was gone. hee She shouted and plunged out of a bush. She took Petey in a chokehold with her spear. They wrestled on the ground for a few seconds, and much to his surprise, Petey managed to get his head out of the choke and end up on top of her. Why are your people destroying my village? She spat as Petey pressed her head into the soft earth. What? You heard me, tree killer. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want to kill anything. Maybe we should get to know each other first. I'm Petey. He said and offered his hand, but the girl hesitated. Abba. She said and pulled his hand so that he lost balance and she swiftly rolled on top of him. Hi. You're really fast for a girl. My village. Your people are coming with giant monsters and are destroying the trees. In a day, they will reach my village. My uncle and me were in the woods when the monsters came. One of your tribe was riding it. We tried to fight them, but our spears did the monsters no harm, so we had to run away. I escaped, but my uncle was taken prisoner by the leader of your tribe. Slow down. Uh, first of all, I, I don't have a tribe, and, and the people you saw cutting the trees are definitely not my people. I want to stop them, too. When did this happen? This morning. I was trapped in the car then. You were their prisoner, too? Sort of. I don't believe you. Your clothes look just like the ones that the people wore who wrote the monsters. Stupid clothes. Stupid people. People like you who don't even know the jungle. Petey scratched the steadily increasing colony of red, swollen mosquito bites on his body. Naaba shook her head, stood up and pointed at her mud-covered body. You're like a baby. You don't even know how to protect yourself from tiny little insects. Uh, who took your uncle? A man with a long, crooked nose and a black raven on his shoulder. Nottingham. So you do know him? 
Naaba said and pointed her spear at Pidi. I, I know him, but he's not my friend. Naaba considered this for a moment and eyed Pidi intensely. Your eyes aren't lying, but maybe you know how to control them. Your people use strange magic. The elders of our village mistrust the city people. They say if a tribe is too big, evil grows unnoticed. Pidi thought about this, but wasn't quite sure if he understood. Once upon a time, your people visited our village. They were good people, but my uncle predicted that others will come and bring destruction and death. Today, his predictions have come true. She poked him again. Rider of the tree-eating monsters. I am not a rider of tree-eating monsters. Maybe, but I still don't trust you. Listen, Nabibi. Naaba. Fine, Nababa. In the city, people don't like to belong to one tribe. You have two tribes? No. They... We... We are sort of on our own. I mean, there is family, workplaces, and school. But apart from that, I think we're just belonging to no one. Dangerous. Those who belong to no one are dangerous. I like being by myself. I mean, it's better than being in school or at work. Anyway, Nottingham, the guy killing the trees, I think my father can stop him. But the problem is he doesn't know that Nottingham is doing this. I've got to get to my father first. Will you help me? Help you? I don't even trust you. Why don't you... Wait. I've seen this before. A trail of confetti was on the left side of Naaba's face, where Pidi had pushed her into the ground. More confetti lay on the ground and on some bushes a few feet further down the trail. Follow me if you want to save your village. Pidi said and got up and ran after the confetti trail. Who says I'm letting you go? I'll follow you, but you're still my prisoner and I'm going to trade you for my uncle. Fine, whatever. The confetti trail led them straight to Tidy's hollow tree home. I know this place. Shh. Look. Tidy and Jeff were using Petey's phone to film another clip by a little river stream. The hot springs of Jungleville. A wellness and spa experience of the extra or... What? What is it now, Tidy? Human. Human. Tidy said and was pointing at something behind his friend. Jeff sighed and covered his face with his feathered hand. Can't we just film one clip without any sort of distractions? Just one... Petey grabbed Jeff by the throat and held him up. Shumans! 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 Tidy said. Yes, I've noticed. Thanks, Tidy. Jeff mumbled from under Petey's chokehold. Tell my kids I won't be coming home this Christmas. You, you have kids? It's a phrase I heard somewhere that the whole scene could use a little drama, you know, like... You know, the war is yours to fight now. You leave me to die with the enemy. What war? What enemy? I, I just want my phone back. What's a phone? Naaba! Thank God you're here. The only decent human I know. Can you stab this evil tree killer, please? Jeff cheered, struggling to turn his head. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tidy. What's a phone? They use it to talk to each other. If you fly over the mega city, they all have one. So you want to call more tree killers? Naaba said and came out from the bushes. No, I want to stop them. How often do I have to say it until you believe me? Yeah, right. I don't trust him either. But he said he can help save my village. 
PD turned to Jeff. I'll let you go, but it just if the monkey passes me my phone and you all agree to listen to me. Do it, Tidy. Tidy threw the phone and Petey caught it. He let go of Jeff, who immediately started pecking at him with his beak. Hey, you said you would listen. Ow! I can listen and fight at the same time. I saw you when I flew past the three killers this morning. No use denying, kid. You're one of them. I am not. I didn't know that they would kill trees. My father sent me with their boss, Nottingham, this morning, and he locked me in a stupid car, but I escaped, and now I want to stop them, too. You said your dad could help. Why would he send you with the three killers in the first place? My dad is the mayor. He has a lot of projects on his hands, and I'm sure he didn't know what they were up to. Just give me a second. I'll call him. Jeff stopped attacking. Let's give the prisoner his one free phone call he said, and took sides with Tidy and Naaba. They watched Petey as he dialed his father's number. I, I like him, Tidy said. He circled Petey and looked at him as if he were an art critic judging a painting. Good sense of style. Yes, yes, very on vogue. Shucks, no reception. Too many trees. Uh-huh, too many trees, huh? Well, how convenient that your people are already dealing with that problem. Give us one good reason to trust you. Um, I, I love climbing trees. So do I. Me too. I usually just fly up to the treetops and sit on the top of a branch, but I can understand why tree climbing is fun. See? But it doesn't really matter if you trust me or not. They've already begun cutting down trees, right? I mean, do you have any plan other than me helping you? Trade you against my uncle. Anything else? Uh, uh, we're filming a video. It's going to show how animals in the jungle live, and how cool we are, and, um, we're going to give the video to the human chief to, to convince him so he won't destroy everything. Tidy! That was top secret. One day your big mouth will get us all... I don't think that's a bad idea. The way I see it, we have three plans, and maybe we should try the easiest first. What do you mean, prisoner? First, you get me to the edge of the forest where I have reception. Then I'll call my dad. If that fails, we can still try and find a way to get the, the, the video to the, to the chief of the humans, like you said. Or trade you against my uncle. Well, yes, but that won't stop the tree cutting. But we will free your uncle anyway, promise. The video sounds like a cool idea, though. Also, I could help you. We don't need any help. So who exactly are you going to give the video to? The chief of Mega City. Good plan. Well, the one person closest to the chief of the city is probably the mayor, and the mayor of Mega City happens to be my dad. You repeat yourself a lot, kid. I think he's got the point. Didn't you just say you didn't trust him? I don't. But as a human from the big city, he might be useful to our cause. You're a human too. But I don't know anyone in the city. There was a moment of silence. If you give your video to the wrong people, they will just destroy it. Trust me, I know these people. Everybody over here, top secret meeting of the Council of Three. Naaba, Tidy, Jeff, and Petey huddled together around Jeff, heads touching. Not you, kid. I said the Council of Three, wait by the tree. Naaba explained to Jeff and Tidy how she and her uncle had run into the tree killers this morning and tried to stop them, and that they were now cutting their way through to her village. The council stuck their heads together even closer and whispered. Then, they all looked up at Petey. What? Naaba pointed her spear toward him and cornered him against a tree. Really? That's all you came up with, poking me again? 
We will take you to your people. The Council of Three accompanied their prisoner to the edge of the forest. Petey was surprised how close they had been all this time. During their walk through the jungle, the sound of the heavy machines never ceased, but when they seemed to be right around the corner, they suddenly fell silent. They reached a clearing where, to their surprise, all the big machines stood in a row, unmanned. Naaba, Tidy and Jeff moved very carefully, as if they were worried that the machines would start their engines any moment and attack them. They seem to be asleep. They're not alive. Petey corrected him and walked over to one of the big tree-cutting machines and climbed up onto its hood. See, they can't do anything if no one's driving them. Don't they see us? Jeff asked and pecked against the headlights. Nope. Petey showed them the windscreen and explained that this is where the workers look through to steer the vehicles. He looked back to where they had just come out of the jungle. There was a ripe field of banana trees at the edge of the clearing. I have an idea. Come help me. The Council of Three decided to give Petey a chance, and they helped him collect as many bananas as they could carry. Petey squashed a banana on the windscreen. This won't stop them, but it will definitely slow them down before they can get to work again. The others joined in, and they kept getting more bananas until the windshields of every machine was completely covered in peels and pulp. I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to like the kid. Ah, ah, very fashionable, Tidy added and licked his fingers. And, and any idea involving bananas is a good idea. They moved on and found the workers at the other end of the clearing on their lunch break. Most of them were busier with fighting off mosquitoes than eating food. Amateurs. In a tent, a little further away from where the workers ate, Nottingham and Blackbird sat at a little plastic table of their own. A bulky worker that looked like Frankenstein's monster stood in the corner of the tent and guarded the entrance. Petey tried to call his dad again, but now the line was busy. Yes, Mr. Craymore, of course. Nottingham's voice rang from inside the tent. He's talking to my dad. This is our chance. Come, I just need to get close enough to hear what lies he's telling him. Then I'll just jump in and tell my dad what they're really up to. Slowly, the four of them snuck past the workers and hid behind Nottingham's tent. The mayor was on loudspeaker so that Blackbird could overhear the conversation. Glad to hear that you're making progress. A hundred football fields of trees cut down in one morning. I can already see the new city district with a brand new super mall in its center. Keep up the good work. Petey's eyes widened. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. How could his father support the destruction of the rainforest? Looks like Daddy is a tree killer after all, huh? What do you have to say for yourself now, tree killer son? Naba pinched Jeff. Not the right move. Can't you see he's hurt? He really didn't know. I trust him now. You do? Petey's eyes filled with tears and he ran away. Petey? Naaba whispered and wanted to go after him, but Jeff held her back. We'll find him. He said and indicated that they should keep listening. We will, Mayor Craymore, we will. Nottingham continued the conversation. So you don't need me to come by and check on anything, right? Oh no, not at all, Mr. Mayor. Everything's under control. Uh, the protesters? Dealt with, sir. Good. I don't want any animals harmed, and I want them to know that I don't. Also, we should be very cautious that we don't cut down more trees than needed. The protesters must understand that we don't want to harm the forest, but that we only need a little more space for our city to grow. Of course, sir. And the workers? Anyone complaining? All lollipops and unicorns, sir. 
Good, good. And Petey? If he's bothering you, just have someone send him back to me. Oh, no need, Mr. Mayor. He loves it out here. In fact, he asked me if he could camp with the workers and stay another day. That sounds like Petey. Send him home if he's too much work. But if you don't mind him sticking around, he has my permission to camp out there with you for another night. Do me a favor and put him on the phone so I can ask him if he needs anything. Um, he... He's with one of the workers right now. They are showing him the big machines. I, I could get him over, but... Oh, oh, no need. Sounds like he's having fun. Just tell him Daddy said hi. Sure thing, sir. I'd better get back to work now. Well, keep it up, Nottingham. Sure will, moron. Nottingham said after he hung up the phone. Then he turned to Blackbird. Save the animals? Tss, what a softie. No, grit! How did a loser like that ever become the mayor? At least now we know we don't have to worry about him. His head is so caught up in paperwork that he won't even know what we're doing here until it's too late for him. Once we find the Inca King's temple and the Well of Power, we will take over Mega City and I will personally see to it that this whole darn jungle will be replaced by office buildings and flats and that every one of these last dreadful trees will end up in a ready-furnished flat. Jeff and Naba looked at each other. Edie was right about Nottingham. And it sounds like his father isn't all bad. We have to find Petey and tell him. Jeff nodded and looked around for Tidy, but the monkey was gone. Tidy? Oh no, not again! A paper scroll tied together with a golden string lay on the plastic table in Nottingham's tent. The golden string had caught Tidy's attention from the first moment he saw it. While the others listened, he had snuck into the tent. Unseen by Blackbird and Nottingham, the squirrel monkey managed to hide under the table. As he got up to leave the tent, Tidy seized the moment. He snatched the scroll and made for the tent door. Thief! Blackbird crowed and flew past him to block the escape route. Tidy turned to look for another exit, but found himself facing the Frankenstein worker. It was the first time the bulky man moved ever since they had seen him. He stuck out his arm and completely engulfed Tidy's head with his oversized hand. Uh, uh, my earrings? A monkey thief? Nottingham asked. Just borrowing. I don't have time for this. Tie the furball up next to the old man. Yes, sir. Frankenstein said and took Tidy with him. Blackbird took the scroll from Tidy and hopped back to Nottingham. From now on, I want you to keep the scroll with you at all times. Do you understand? I shall guard it as if it were my own child. Little over the top, Blackbird, but yeah, that's the right spirit. Keeping a safe distance, Naaba and Jeff followed Frankenstein to the trees at the end of the clearing, where Naaba's uncle was tied up to the cage-like branches of a strangler fig. He seemed to be sleeping and didn't bother waking up as Frankenstein tied the squirrel monkey up next to him. Jeff and Naaba waited for Frankenstein to leave to rescue the prisoners. Jeff! Sh Jeff! The skin of Naaba's uncle looked weathered almost leathern, as if his wrinkled skin was mimicking the bark of the tree. If he hadn't worn the traditional tribal clothing, one might have mistaken him as just another part of the strangler fig. Uncle? Is he alive? He looks drier than a plum in the sun. He didn't always look like this. How old is he? Jeff asked, curiously hopping around the strange old man by the tree. One hundred and twenty-seven. Uncle, uncle, wake up. Ah, Naab. 
her uncle said and slowly opened his eyes. What have they done to you? What is wrong with your skin? I knew you would come back for me. Brave little Nahaba. Don't worry about me. I am fine. But we are not alone. Oh, mm. yes, sorry. Tidy and Jeff, they're friends. Not them. The evil crow followed you. Oh, the discrimination. I am a raven. And damn right I followed you. I assumed that the monkey wasn't working alone. Blackbird folded his black feathered arms proudly over his chest. Frankenstein towered behind him, swinging a lasso. The noose caught Jeff and Naaba before they had a chance to move. Frankenstein pulled it tight, and before they knew it, they were all tied up to the strangler fig. Blackbird waved the scroll at the monkey's face and puffed up his chest. Once we have the power of the Inca King's well, we shall all be my personal slaves. Blackbird finished his victory speech and headed back to the clearing, taking Frankenstein with him. We're doomed, Jeff said and let his head hang. Oh, no, no, they're just visiting. They don't want to be a part of us. Naaba's uncle said. What? Oh, nothing. I was just talking to the tree. His name is Tony. Jeff signaled to Tidy that the old man was obviously completely bonkers. Probably dehydration? Uncle, your hand, your skin. What did they do? Naaba asked again. Where her uncle was tied against the tree, his right hand had become part of the strangler fig. Nothing to worry about. I talked to Tony. I told him that, at my age, every bone hurts, and that my back is killing me, sunrise till sundown. He offered me to share the next fifty years of being a tree with him, and I agreed. You agreed to become part of the tree? Yes. He turned to the strangler fig and murmured something. Tony says hi. Tidy, Jeff, and Naaba shared a few confused looks. Hi, hi Tony. Tony. We are not alone. Naaba's uncle said again. That damn crow again? No. Tony the strangler fig shifted and moved and its branchwork took a hold of Naaba's uncle and transformed him until he was almost all tree, and his legs and arms and shoulders were covered in bark. I am almost gone now. Uncle, no. It's okay. We all become trees sooner or later. Her uncle comforted her. But before I go, Tony has a message for you. Naaba's uncle pressed his ear against Tony, and the others watched as his face became part of the tree. Blackbird is evil. Naaba's uncle spoke to them for the last time. But the root 
of his evilness, the loneliness in his heart. Use it to retrieve the scroll and trick him to telling you Nottingham's secret plan. Naaba's uncle listened closer to what Tony the tree was telling him. Stop mumbling, Tony. What was that last part again? By now, only his eyes and mouth remained untaken by the strangler fig. Tony says that a well of power lies under the ruins of an old Inca temple. What? What was that, Tony? What? Would you speak clearly? For Amaru's sake, something, something deceiving. Sorry, this tree has terrible pronunciation. Fill a cup with water out of the well's basin and drink from it. But beware, for anyone who doesn't worship... And then Naaba's uncle was gone. For anyone who doesn't worship... Wait, what is that supposed to mean? I mean, who doesn't worship what? Jeff asked and knocked against the tree. Hello? Tony? Uncle. Naaba closed her eyes. Uh, uh, Who doesn't worship shiny things, maybe? Tidy suggested and shrugged his shoulders. I never trust people who don't like shiny things. Great. Couldn't your uncle have just stuck around a little bit longer? The monkey looked up at the branch work. I think I know why he said we're not alone. Tidy pointed up to the crown of the tree. Peedy sat there, trying hard to keep his composure and not cry. Leave me alone. I'll never go back to the city. I want to live alone in the jungle forever. Good idea. So how about you stop whining and come free us and help us come up with a plan to stop Nottingham. Otherwise, there will be no more jungle for you to be alone in. Smooth, Jeff. Very smooth. You know, my father never wanted me to collect things from humans. Tidy said as Petey slowly climbed down. He always thought it was too dangerous, but I, I couldn't help it. So I went and did it anyway. I just like how you people dress. I think it's cool, especially if it's shiny and... I don't think Petey needs to hear about your fashion addiction now. I, I know, I know. What I'm just saying is that uh, I understand you, Petey. But maybe you're misjudging your father. I, I always thought my dad hated me, but, but one day he came and told me he was just scared that I would, you know get caught by the evil humans and transported to one of those concentration camps. What do they call them again? Where they lock animals up in cages and, 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 and just look at them to die of loneliness? You know? Zeus? Exactly, exactly. Turns out my old man was proud of me after all. Just worried. The, the point is, I judged him wrong. Who knows? Maybe you did too. Tidy's right. We heard what Nottingham said after you left. He's up to something that your dad doesn't know about. Something to do with this Inca King thing your uncle was talking about? Yes. Nottingham and the Crow both mentioned something about getting a lot of power and how they would cut down the whole jungle and rule the mega city. Dad still ordered the trees to be cut down. True, but he didn't want any animals harmed and only enough forest cut so that his city could expand. Your dad is just trying to help his people. Naaba said, looking over to Jeff for support to get Petey back on board. Right, Jeff? Right, um, your dad might not be completely evil. 
Naaba looked unsatisfied. What? What do you want me to tell him? I won't lie. Look, kid, I get you. I don't like what your daddy's doing either. For his people or not, he's still killing trees. I think if we let your father know that Nottingham wants to take over the city and cut down the whole rainforest, we could maybe convince him to stop the whole thing. We'll see, but most importantly is that we stick together now and try to stop Nottingham from getting to this well of power. Any ideas? I might have an idea. The ropes Frankenstein had tied were a tough nut to crack, but Petey managed to sneak back to the clearing and steal a knife from one of the workers and cut his friends loose. Apart from the knife, Petey also brought back a bucket of black paint he had found by one of the workers' tents. Petey explained his plan and despite Jeff's protest, everyone else thought it was a great idea. Together with the black paint and Tidy's beauty tips, they turned Jeff into a beautiful black raven lady. Tidy accompanied Jeff to the tent where they waited for Nottingham to go to the toilet, one of the only places where Blackbird didn't follow him. All clear, Tidy said. Let me hear your lady voice again. Oh, lovely Blackbird, you are the most handsome crow, I mean, a, a raven I have ever seen. <laughs> I think you're ready. Blackbird was just taking a sip out of his little water basin as Jeff walked into the tent with his most ladylike hip shake. Cool, cool, Jeff said and flapped his fake eyelashes made of painted grass blades. I've been watching you all day, you know, you big, strong, handsome gentleman. Blackbird was caught completely off guard and began to stutter. You? Jeff came closer and put his wing around him. You're not from around here, are you? What a sexy foreign accent you have. I, I am indeed not from around here. I reside in Mega City. Oh, my. Reside, you say, in the big city? Pray, do tell me more. Jeff threw his head back with his wing against his forehead, pretending to almost faint in admiration. I have never met a bird from the city. You must tell me all about it. Blackbird started to boast and tell Jeff about the flat that he lived in with Nottingham. Jeff leaned in closer and lifted the scroll from the raven's head. What's this? Oh, a necklace. Blackbird took the scroll back and eyed Jeff suspiciously, but was reassured by the blinking eyes of the beautiful raven lady. That, I'm afraid, is a secret. Oh, but there need not be any secrets between us, my big bad raven rude boy. Jeff leaned in and gave Blackbird a kiss on the beak, never having been kissed before in his life. Blackbird froze for a second. <laughs> Tidy couldn't hold himself together. Jeff seized the moment and ripped the scroll from Blackbird's neck. Not quite understanding the masquerade that he had been tricked into believing, Blackbird caught the fake raven lady's hand, but it slipped free from the still wet paint. What in the world? Blackbird eyed the paint on his hand and connected the dots. He tossed his water basin at the fake raven lady. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Jeff said and winked. He wiped his face, losing the last of his fake eyelashes, and tossed the scroll over to Tidy. Blackbird whistled, and a moment later, Frankenstein stood behind Tidy at the door of the tent. Get that scroll! Don't make me hurt you, mini monkey. 
Tidy dashed through the legs of the enemy, who was too big to run that fast. In the same moment, Jeff hopped past Frankenstein, and together they fled back to the others. Filthy thieves! Blackbird cursed and flew to Nottingham to report. It worked! Naaba shouted as her friends came back with the scroll. The Council of Four will save the forest! Since when are we the Council of Four? Well, I thought just because, you know, I just was... Just kidding, we're a team now. The Council of Four sounds good to me. Yeah, to me too. But we should get out of here ASAP. That crow looked like he was out for revenge. We need to stop Nottingham before he gets the machines going again. I don't think bananas will do the job. Naaba said and pointed to the clearing. It was swarming with workers. Nottingham was furiously commanding them back to the vehicles and ordering to clean up the banana sabotage. Blackbird and Frankenstein were with him, and it didn't take long for the first engines to start up again. The machines moved directly toward him. What now? Now? We run! And find a place to read the scroll. Follow me. They raced through the jungle until they reached Tidy's tree. Completely out of breath, and with the machines still at their heels, Jeff handed Petey the scroll. <sighs> Why me? You're the only one that knows how to read. I'm not too good, actually. We'll do something! They're gonna destroy my home! Tidy shouted from the top of his tree. Just a few hundred feet away, the crowns of the tallest trees were already falling. Panic broke out among the Council of Four. Alarmed at the possibility of losing his home, Tidy whizzed down into the hollow tree trunk and started gathering his stuff. I... I need a bag. Forget it, Tidy. You can't take this stuff with you. We gotta keep moving. Just take what's most important and let's go! They're coming! They're coming! They're coming! Guys, everybody shut up for a second. I, I need to concentrate here. Petey said, trying to read the scroll. A large tree came crushing down a few feet away from them. The tree killers! They're here! We need to stop them! Read the scroll, city boy. I would if you'd let me, mudface! Are you sure you can read, Crybaby? Look, this isn't a time to argue. We... Tidy, what are you doing with the rubber duck? You said to take the most important thing. Ducky has always been my favorite. The shadow loomed over their heads and the sky above them vanished for a second as one of the largest trees ever to inhabit the rainforest came down with a thunderous crash. It buried Tidy's tree home underneath it, separating the Council of Four. Petey and Naaba jumped to one side while Jeff and Tidy fled to the other. Before either of them could react, the machines came rolling in. We should have broken their machines while we had the chance. Naaba shouted as she and Petey ran deeper into the forest to escape the falling trees. Instead, we fed them bananas. And what exactly would you have done? Poked them to death with your wooden spear? Maybe. While Petey and Naaba kept running and arguing, Jeff and Tidy did the same on the other side of the convoy of machines that was still roaring past. A rubber duck? I can't believe it! Even now that your home is gone, you don't realize how serious this is, do you? Oh, and you always have all the answers, huh? Filming a video to convince the humans. You know what I think? I think we should have told the other animals. Maybe someone would have had a better idea, but you, you just wanted to show them how cool you are and that you could save the jungle all by yourself. And because you have such a big fat ego, my home is gone. You're a real wise ass sometimes, you know? Yeah, says the fashion-loving narcissist squirrel monkey. The last of the machines passed them by. Great, now we'll never get to the well before Nottingham. Not before, Tidy said and started to run back toward the machines. But maybe at the same time. 
Together they chased after the last of the machines. Tidy hopped onto the metal platform frame above the caterpillar wheels, and Jeff landed right beside him. Pretty clever, my friend. But you're still a diva. The wooden spear bent into a half circle as it wedged between the frame and the caterpillar wheels. It straightened again and flung its wielders high up into the air. Naaba was holding onto Petey's back as they executed the first two-person pole vault ever. They almost landed on Tidy and Jeff. Look who had the same idea! Hi, guys. Okay, Mudface, I gotta admit, that was genius. Thanks, city boy, Naaba said, still holding onto Petey. I wouldn't have thought you were strong enough, she said and gave him a little kiss on the cheek. Petey's face exploded in a bright tomato red and he quickly buried himself behind the scroll and didn't look up until he had finished reading it. It says that the well of power will grant the person who drinks from it a wish. That's all? Petey shrugged his shoulders. There's a map here and directions how to find the temple. A little late now that we're letting Nottingham lead the way. Any ideas what we do when we get there? The Council of Four sat on the caterpillar, racking their brains on how to keep Nottingham from finding the Well of Power. But no one could come up with anything. This is it, then? Jeff said, about to give up, when suddenly a voice called from above. Snake girl to the rescue. Sandy the snake said, and came floating down from a nearby tree. She had something black in her mouth and spat it out when she realized she wasn't going to make it. She missed the caterpillar platform by an inch and fell onto the turning wheels. Ouch! 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 She said every time the caterpillar wheels smushed her into the ground and brought her back up. After a few rounds, the Council of Four finally managed to peel her off with Naaba's spear and put her down safely on the platform. Sandy, what are you doing here? I followed you because I was curious what you were up to. You almost got yourself killed, Sandy. Luckily, Snake Girl is very bendy. She said and wriggled her body. Ouch, I think I broke a few ribs. Tidy and Jeff introduced Sandy the Snake to the others and she rose up to her full size and puffed up her chest, ready to hold the greatest motivational speech a snake had ever held. I followed you all day because I wanted to know your secret. I saw you film every video this morning. I saw you fail, but you never give up. I saw you form the Council of Three and then the Council of Four. I saw you become two heroes. Heroes that did everything to save the jungle. I was so proud to be your friend. And then, in the face of danger, I saw you argue. But even then, you came up with a new plan, and now you are here. I am here to tell you, don't give up now. That's nice, Sandy. Jeff said, his head sunk to his chest. But take a look around you. Nottingham's one. He's destroying the forest and he's already on his way to the Well of Power. Don't you see what's right in front of you? What's that? Sandy slithered off to the protective plates above the caterpillar wheels and came back with something black in her mouth. She spat it out before the council. 
It was the smartphone that Tidy and Jeff had used to film the first videos. Why did you throw it away? Those videos were pure genius. They weren't, and we threw it away because it's broken, Sandy. Petey took the phone and fumbled for something in his pocket. He plugged the phone to his portable power bank and switched it on. I don't think it's broken. Look, it just needs to be charged. Petey was right, and after he charged the phone, he looked at the video and couldn't stop laughing. See how we failed? Failed? This is amazing. It's the best thing I've seen in ages. Really? People would love it. <laughs> He's right. Well, maybe Sandy's right. I mean, we shouldn't give up just yet. Maybe we can still get to the well before Nottingham and, and, and somehow convince my dad to stop him. That's the spirit. Aren't you forgetting Nottingham? As soon as the machines stop, we know that they're by the Inca temple, right? Yes, and? Look at us. We're all younger and faster than him and that crow and that bulkhead. You can even fly and, and Tidy is a master climber. So all we have to do is find the well of power before them once we get there. If the well really grants a wish, we could just ask it to save the jungle. Ta-da! Genius. That does sound like a plan. The hour has come. Sandy said in her most dramatic voice. The hour in which the Council of War sets out to save the jungle. The Council of Five. Naaba said and put her hand down on the metal ground. Petey put his down on top of hers. The Council of Five. Sandy looked at them and hesitated. Come on! You're part of the crew now. The Council of Five. Sandy said and put the end of her tail on top of the handpile. Let's save Jungleville. Since there was nothing they could do about the tree killing for now, they rode the caterpillar for the rest of the day, watching the trees fall right and left. Nottingham would get his way until they reached the Inca temple. Just before sunset, fragments of carved rock appeared in the middle of the otherwise untouched jungle. Jeff flew ahead to scout the location, and he informed the others that a field of ruins lay straight ahead. The machines plowed through a few more trees and then came to a halt. Everywhere they looked, they saw pieces of a lost world. Great man-made formations, broken statues and remnants of houses grown over by plants and half-devoured by the jungle. In the distance, they spotted something amid the trees that vaguely hinted at what had once been the heart of a great civilization. The Inca Temple? Yes. These are the ruins of the old Inca King's Temple. The elders of my village always told me stories about it. The Council of Five got off the caterpillar and hid among the trees. Nottingham ordered that the machines should be parked in a half-circle, and the workers got busy setting up a camp for the night. Okay, listen up. Jeff said and went through the main steps of the plan. It's simple, guys. We get to the Well of Power before Nottingham. We wish for the jungle to be saved, and just to be certain nothing will go wrong in the future, Petey will try to convince his dad to stop this project altogether. Bam! I will tell him that I have new friends in the jungle and show him your video and... He turned to Naaba. You can come meet him and tell him about your village. Step by step. 
It looks like Nottingham won't start until sunrise. I think we have to use the night to find the well. Where do we start? Everybody looked at Naaba, who shrugged her shoulders. What are you looking at me for? I've never been here. Maybe start with that big old ruin over there. They arrived at the huge stone steps that had been overgrown with a rug of moss and other flora over the centuries. The steps led to a broken arch which had once been the entrance to the temple complex that now lay covered in a heap of rocks and rubble. They searched all around the temple but found no entrance, let alone a well of power. Maybe we should split up. Good idea. Naaba and, and I could go to the left of the temple to check the other ruins, and, and Tidy and Jeff and Sandy, you search the other side. Okay. That was a fast call. I think our two little lovebirds care for some privacy. What? I, I just randomly split us up into groups. I can go with you guys too. Aw, aren't they cute? <laughs> this time, both Naaba and Petey's faces turned a dark crimson red. Uh, how about you come with us, Sandy? Then at least we're not divided into animals and humans. Yes, sir. We will need a sign if one party finds something. Maybe a jungle sound that doesn't attract the attention of the tree killers? How about we, we make the sound of an elephant? If anyone finds anything, just make this sound. <laughs> what was that? An elephant. That was the worst elephant impression ever, but I can definitely copy it. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds good to me. And if we don't hear the sound in the next half hour, we meet back here. Naaba, Petey, and Sandy left the temple stairs and soon got to a huge pile of rubble that might have been another entrance to the temple. What if the well of power is completely covered by rocks? I think I found something. There was a large statue of a humanoid figure holding a cup of some sort. It lay broken on the ground, but underneath the broken rocks, there seemed to be a hollow entrance. It looks like it leads somewhere, but it's too tight to squeeze through. I can fit. Okay, just check out if there's a well underneath the rocks, and then come right back. Yes, sir. Sandy left Petey and Naaba waiting outside the broken statue, creating an awkward moment of silence between them. Just to be clear, I, I didn't choose you because I... I mean, I don't have a crush on you or anything. What? No, neither do I. Of course not. I mean, stupid bird. That doesn't mean that I don't like... It's here. That you don't like what? Naaba asked. But Petey already stuck his head into the hole that Sandy had slipped through. It's definitely a cave. Her head popped back up between the rocks. Just in that moment, they heard Tidy call the signal. Wait, they found something too. Should I return the signal, or do we go to them? Maybe they found the well of power. We can't get through here anyway. I say we go back to the others. Also, this place is full of... Just as Sandy wanted to warn them, Naaba made a step toward the temple and unintentionally put her foot down on a pentagon-shaped stone. The ground underneath her grumbled, and the five-sided stone plate gave way and she fell into a pit. Booby traps. This place is full of booby traps. But I guess no need to warn you anymore. 
Nava, can you hear me? Are you okay? I am down here. Her voice sounded muffled as if hearing someone talk through a thick wall. Sandy slithered back down into the cave. She's down here in the cave, trapped in a booby trap. Welcome back, listeners. That was fun. I would love to ask the guest readers how they enjoyed the experience, but they are sleeping. Best let them rest, so they have enough energy for the second part of The Secret of Jungleville in the next episode. Listeners, I want to thank you for the support we have gotten so far. I think we are really getting better with each episode, and I have a feeling that there are greater secrets still to be revealed by our good friend and marvelous mentor, the all-knowing, much-glowing, and ever-humble Marble Machine. So please keep up the support, and do tell a friend or two if you enjoyed the podcast. Become a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash themarblemachine, if you haven't already, and check out our website, themarblemachine.com, for all our secret mini-marbles, behind-the-scenes material, and even a sneak peek into Tim's sound effect language vocabulary. Hear us soon, and be on the lookout, for the next marble will drop.